And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small, as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will He clothe you? You have little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world are seeking after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys for where your treasure is. There will your heart be also. I love Luke chapter 12. Love it. And I don't know if you're anything like me. And uh, worry, anxiety, fear come at you on a monthly, let alone weekly basis. See, I need to hear Luke 12 pretty regularly. So I committed it to memory a few years ago so I could preach it to myself every day if I had to. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Jesus' disciples, they're not immune from worry. Jesus' disciples are not immune from fear, from anxiety. They struggle with that too. Now let me be really clear. Jesus is speaking to His disciples right now. And if you're not a disciple of Jesus, this story loses significant application. And I, I would plead with you, I would plead with you to place your faith in Jesus as both Lord and Savior to repent of your sins. To follow him wholeheartedly. Well, Jesus' disciples are not immune from any of these things. They struggle with these things too. And so Jesus is going to give them a series of arguments from the bigger to the smaller. You'll see that, okay? But be on the lookout for it. He's going to start with big arguments and work his way down to small arguments to make a point. To help them with their fear. 
with their worry, with their anxiety. And it begins with, consider the ravens, right? Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor do they reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And, and right away we see a contrast. Of course, they're birds. They don't do those things. Well, who does? Farmers do those things. Farmers go out. Farmers sow seed. Farmers then reap the harvest. And once they have secured the harvest, they put it in storehouses and they put it in barns. That's what farmers do. And in the first century world, this makes a lot of sense. You go out, you work your job, you make some money, you make a little money, you put it in a checking account, you put it in a savings account, you put it in your storehouse, you put it in your barn, and he comes and says, yeah, the birds, they don't do that. And God takes care of them. Isn't that interesting how that works out? They do just, they do, they do okay. The birds, the birds make it. And if you're more valuable than the birds, it stands to reason he's got you. It stands to reason he's got you. And which of you, which of you, by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life, right? So if you're really anxious and you're worried and you're stressed all the time, can it, Jesus asked the question, can it even give you one extra hour at the end of your life? And of course the answer is no. You don't need anyone to tell you that. You know, they, you know it doesn't do anything. But that's the whole point. The whole point is that worry is pointless. It can't do anything productive. Yet we worry all the time. All the time. You know, Chandler talks about how 20,000 years from now, you're going to feel pretty silly about all the time you spent worrying. Can you imagine that? 20,000 years from now, you'll feel pretty silly about all that time you spent worrying. It's pointless. It can't do anything productive in your life. Nothing productive. So if that's true, then look what Jesus says in the very next verse. If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Like if it can't add an hour to your life, why are you so anxious about everything? Why are you stressing all the time? Why are you so paralyzed by fear? Worry is futile. Worry doesn't bring about anything good or helpful. It's, it's totally pointless. It's silly, as we've already illustrated. Right? It's like the guy, true story, comes and says, Hey, Joe, uh, that girl over there? Yeah, which girl? That girl. That girl? She's really good looking. Do you, do you know if she's single? Hang on. That girl? Yeah, that girl. No, she's not single. She's, she's my wife. I'm married to her. <laughs> no. True story. <laughs> so you laugh, right? But that's the whole point. Like 20,000 years from now, you're going to feel pretty silly about all the time that you worried about this or this or this. That's, that's the point. Worry is silly. 
It's pointless. Being afraid doesn't do anything. Being anxious doesn't do anything. You notice what he's doing right now? He started with birds. It's going bigger, smaller. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Lilies. Like, they're just lilies. I mean, these guys, they don't even have to try. And it's not like the song because it's always a good time. They're just lilies. These beautiful decorations of nature, they don't make any effort to grow or in designing themselves and coloring themselves. And what we see here is certainly an indictment. An indictment in our day, just as it was true in their day, on the amount of money, the amount of time, the amount of energy, the amount of effort when it comes to clothing ourselves. Yeah? And we stress, well, what are people going to think about me? And how are they going to perceive me when they look at me? And I'm really worried. A lot of anxiety. On my appearance. And don't get me wrong, appearance is, is, is good to have a good appearance. Okay? Because some people go to the opposite extreme. They're like, yeah, see, Joe, I told you. Clothes are optional. I'm like, no, clothes not optional. Clothes are a good thing. Okay? Very good thing, clothes. You go to the extreme. No, that's, that's not what he's talking about here. Nothing wrong with that, but it's that, that, like, that paralyzing fear of how I look. And he says, think about Solomon for a second. He, he, can't, he can't compare. Solomon, so the richest, wisest, wealthiest man ever to live. I'll give you a snapshot of who this man was from 1 Kings chapter 10, 4-7. I'll just read it. This isn't up there. Just listen. And when the queen of Sheba, she's coming to check to see if all this is true. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came, and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Many people make a god, make an idol out of fashion and shamelessly waste money on expensive clothes and outfits they will but wear only a few times. And like the birds who neither sow nor reap, then there's the lilies. I mean, the lilies. They're not trying to look fly. They're just lilies. And Solomon, he can't compare. Despite all his wealth, despite all his power, despite all his resources, cannot compare. And the lilies do just fine on their own. I don't know what that's like. I remember one day when I was in high school. High school's hard. I'm in front of the mirror. I've got gel in my hair. I don't put gel in my hair anymore. Some of you are like, you might want to do that. That's all right. That's all right. 
got gel in my hair. I'm trying to get my hair to do this little, little, little swoop thing. I don't really know how to describe it. Okay, this back like 2003 about. I'm trying to get my hair to do this little swoop thing. Can't get it. I'm so frustrated because I can't go to school unless my hair's doing the swoop thing. Not going to happen. I would get so much anxiety, like, on the way to school. Like, I would get, like, like I would, I would be, like, short of breath. And I just told my mom, I'm not going to school today. Not happening. Some of us, it's just crippling. The anxiety and the fear and the worry that consumes us on how we look and how other people are going to perceive how we look, okay? Nothing nothing wrong with looking nice, okay? Nothing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about the person who's struggling with that sort of feeling that they were just paralyzed by it. That's what I'm talking about. But if God... But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So grass. Think about grass for a second because in the first century world, pretty insignificant. Wood would be kind of a scarcity. So if you wanted to preheat the oven to 350 degrees or whatever you want to do, right, to make something, you throw, not wood, you throw grass in the oven. That's what you would do. It's insignificant. Today, grass is kind of insignificant. Cows eat grass. You mow the grass. It's, it's insignificant, but that's Jesus' point. Even the grass I take care of. Even the grass I clothe. So why are you stressing out? Why are you so afraid? Why are you worrying? Why are you having anxiety up the wazoo? I take care of the grass. It's less valuable than the lilies. I take care of the lilies. I clothe them. They look awesome. They're less valuable than the birds. I feed them. I take care of them, which are less valuable than you. So it stands to reason, I got you. I got you. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to be anxious all the time. Oh, these are sweet promises, guys. He's got you. But there's a challenge. There's a challenge. You say, Joe, this isn't easy. Oh, I know. I'm right there in the trenches with you. I know it's not easy. So here's the challenge. Verse 29. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. He knows. So seek the kingdom. That's his advice. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So here's the challenge. And it's a hard challenge, because not only do you have the challenge of trying to believe these things, remember these things, but then you have the challenge, and the challenge is the world. And the world is pulling you in a million different directions. It's saying, find your happiness, find your joy, find your satisfaction, find your security, and everything other than Christ. You worried not about having enough food? No problem. You just get more food. 
Are you worried about not having enough money? That's easy. You just find a better job. You keep chasing after it until you get enough money. You put it away. You secure it. That's what you do. You worried about being lonely? A lot of single people in here. Easy. You just get a relationship. That's what you do. You get a relationship that makes everything better. And that's the challenge. That's what the world is trying to sell you. I've heard Piper often say how the devil is mainly about good things. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. If you're new, maybe you haven't. How the devil's mainly about good things. You say, that sounds a little peculiar. Explain that. I'd love to. The devil's mainly about good things because you can recognize and see the bad things a mile away. Oh, there's a tornado, right? Bad things are really, really obvious. The good things are not always so obvious. They're sometimes very, very subtle. And he's sneaky like that. See, the devil's mainly about the good things to keep you from the best thing. Jesus is saying, here's the challenge. The world is chasing after all these things. Don't buy into it. Don't do it. Don't go there. Your father, he already knows. He knows what you need. So seek him. Keep your eyes on him. Seek Christ. Seek the kingdom. Do that. Do that. Perhaps some of you, you've maybe heard the phrase Christian hedonism. John Piper in his book, Desiring God, Meditations of a Christian Hedonist, he says, forgive the phrase, embrace the meaning. You don't like the phrase, that, that's okay. Um, when I say Christian hedonism, I suppose it's best to understand what hedonism is, to draw a, a difference. Hedonism in the old Greek sense is whatever brings you the most pleasure, okay, whatever you get the most pleasure out of, that's the highest good, and you should pursue that. So whatever that is, regardless of its moral value, whatever brings you the most pleasure, that's the highest good, you should pursue that. Christian hedonism says Christ is the highest good, and you should pursue Him. Or... In case you didn't know this, the definition of Christian hedonism is on your bulletin every single week. I hear all the, the bulletins. They're like, wait, what? It's on the front of your bulletin. For the chief end of man? Yeah, I heard some people say it. <laughs> right there, on the front of your bulletin. For the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. So Christian hedonism says that Christ is the highest good, the greatest joy, the most satisfying treasure that can be found. And the best way to glorify God is when we enjoy God. Or in other words, you glorify, you make much of what you enjoy. Now think about it like this. What's my favorite hockey team? Great, yeah? If you guys were new and you didn't know that, most people know um, the Rangers are my favorite team, which is a perfect shout out to say. I realized an announcement I forgot. Thursday night. <laughs> Thursday night. Thursday night, we're having a Super Bowl-esque party, but for the New York Rangers season opener. That's ice hockey, if you guys are totally lost. So if you aren't leaving on fall break, doors open at 6.30, puck drops at 7.30. It'll be like a Super Bowl party. Invite people. But I say that jokingly and also totally serious because you guys know, right? You guys know. And so we glorify what we enjoy. 
You see me, I'll be at a New York Rangers game in Madison Square Garden uh, day after Thanksgiving, two days after Thanksgiving. They're like, man, Joe loves the Rangers. Joe loves the New York Rangers. Or maybe it's the guy posting pictures on Instagram of him and his, his girlfriend or him and his car or whatever it is, right? We glorify, we make much of that which we enjoy. Therefore, the best way to glorify God is when we enjoy God, when we treasure God above and before all things. And there's the challenge, right? The world is seeking after all these things. Find your joy, find your happiness, find your satisfaction, find your security in all these things. You're worried about not having money? That's really stressing you out. You get more money. You're worried about being lonely? That's stressing you out, causing a lot of fear and anxiety? You just get a relationship. That's how you fix these things. And Jesus is saying, no, don't do it. I know what you need. I know what you need. Seek me. Keep your eyes, keep your eyes on me. Don't chase after these things like the world chases after them. C.S. Lewis would say it another way. He'd say, we're like kids in the ghetto making mud pies. Right? In a rough neighborhood. And we're there and we're literally mud pies. I did this once when I was a little boy. Literally, you're, you're making like a pretend pie out of mud in the ground. He said, that's what the world is like. They're like kids in the ghetto making mud pies. And they have no idea what it means to take a holiday out at sea. That's why I said the devil's mainly about good things to keep you from the best thing. And if the devil can get at your faith by giving you that relationship, he'll do it. If the devil can get at your faith by giving you that new job, he'll do it. See, the problem with the world is that they are far too easily pleased. And they are content. And they are happy with their trivialities. Chasing after these things, looking for their happiness, their joy, their satisfaction. And Jesus is saying, don't go there. I know what you need. I know what you need. Keep your eyes on me. Seek me. Seek the kingdom. And then we come to the apex verse. Verse 32. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I really appreciate this verse as well as this whole passage. Because in moments when I've been really scared, in moments when I've been afraid, in moments when I've had a high anxiety, I've stressed, sometimes, at least once in my life, I had someone come and try to offer me cheap advice. Now, I think they were super well, they were well-meaning, but oftentimes what comes from our biblically illiterate society is nothing more than just have more faith. Like, how do I do that? Will you just, just will you pray? Okay, and then have more faith. Well, once again, how do I do that? Well, just remember that Jesus loves you, John 3.16, right? Because that's all they know. Just have more faith. Like, like if I can just, okay, I'm just going to, just going to kind of willpower it, like, to have more faith. And if I have more faith, then maybe these won't be issues. Now, once again, those things aren't false things. They're not bad things to say. They're just kind of incomplete things. They don't come full circle. Jesus is not trying to offer cheap advice to his disciples who we know are so prone to worry. They're so prone to be afraid and scared. They are. Some of us are. And so Jesus' antidote, his solution, is to show them something bigger than their worry. That's what Jesus is going to do throughout this story, especially right here in verse 32. He's going to show them something bigger than their fear. He's going to show them something bigger than their anxiety. 
and he's going to show them just how big their God is. That's what I want you to be on the lookout for. So fear not, little flock. You say, that's a peculiar thing to say. He's talking to his disciples, and now he's calling them by this barnyard animal. Okay, I don't know about you, but don't recommend calling your significant other. Don't, you know, be careful, right? But it works for Jesus, right? Fear not, little flock. You say, why does he call them a flock? Well, think about what a flock is. A flock are sheep. And what are sheep? Well, they're small. They're kind of insignificant. They oftentimes need, like, adult supervision. They need help. You see, he calls them a little flock because it's true. It's true, and it's the nature of why they're afraid. See, if you're big, and you're strong, and you're powerful, you're not afraid. You're in charge. You've got it going on. That's why he says, fear not little flock, versus fear not little Tyrannosaurus Rex. Doesn't fit the, the story. Doesn't fit the context there. No, he says, fear not little flock, because it's true. It's so true. But there's an implication here. If there is sheep... There's a flock. There must be a shepherd. And shepherds, they know the condition of the sheep. They know the hurts. They know the pains. They know the stresses. They know the anxiety. They know the worry. They know. Shepherds, they know. No one else maybe knows about the tears you were wetting your pillow with this last week. The shepherd, he knows. Shepherd knows. That's what shepherds do. Shepherds look after the sheep. Shepherds know all about the sheep and their fears and their worries and their anxieties. And that's good news for the little sheep like us. He's going to show them something bigger, namely how much bigger their God is than their fear, their worry, their anxiety. So notice what he says next. It is your Father's good pleasure it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sometimes this imagery is difficult for us to wrap our minds around, especially when you think of Father if you don't have a positive idea of Father. And some of you don't because maybe your fathers were just totally absent or maybe your fathers were mean fathers who abused you verbally, physically, sexually, Sometimes there's loss, and I understand this. But that's not this father. That's not our father. He's not like that. What does it say? It says, it is his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Not trade. Sometimes you go ask your dad, Dad, can I have this? You've got to be kidding me. And he gives, and he gives begrudgingly. And he's annoyed that you're even asking him. What do you want? You call him up, what do you want? Already he's annoyed, it's going bad. Not this father, right? This Father, it's His good pleasure to give to you. Like, it makes His day to give. That's the Father you have. Makes His day to give. To give what? To give the kingdom. Not everything you want, 
but rather the very best thing that He could possibly give to you at great cost to His only Son on the cross. He gave it. He gave it. That you might have the kingdom. That you might have the King. That you might have access into the kingdom. Right? No one comes to the Father but through the Son. The greatest gift is already in purchase for you. And it's not another, it's not a romantic relationship, it's not a job, it's not a car. The greatest thing you could possibly have ever, like ever, has already been purchased for you. You have a shepherd who knows every single challenge that you're dealing with. You have a father who loves to give. And he does so at great cost to his only son. And, oh, by the way, if there's a kingdom, third implication, there must be a king. And what are kings? Oh, kings are strong. Kings are powerful. Kings are authoritative. Kings can make things happen. And that's good news for the little flock who's constantly terrified by their own worry and anxiety. Therefore, no fear. Therefore, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to be crippled by these things. Good news for the little flock. Good news for Jesus' disciples today. What do you do? You preach this to yourself every day. You memorize this passage so it's there no matter where you are. You preach it to yourself. You remind yourselves of these truths and of these promises. That's what you do. That's how you battle fear and anxiety and worry. I always thought that the story should end right there. It felt like the final two verses were significantly disconnected from the rest of the, the passage. But it's not. In fact, Jesus arrives home the final point that much more. Verse 33, he says, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Seems kind of disconnected. It's not disconnected. Here Jesus is not so much as calling us to a life of poverty as the focus is on Him describing two types, two types of treasure. You've got two types of treasure. You've got temporal treasure, and you have eternal treasure. Temporal treasure, it's just that. It's temporary. It can be stolen. It can be damaged. It's temporary. You understand. And then there's eternal treasure. It's the opposite. Okay? Great shelf life for this eternal treasure. And the way in which you get the eternal treasure, or rather the way that you're characterized by having it, because we know... There's nothing you can do to get it, right? For by grace you have been saved. You can't make it happen. You don't do anything for salvation. But rather, the way in which you are characterized as that you have that eternal treasure is by being the sort of person that is characterized by the generosity of the Father. Remember, it makes His day to give to you, and He does so at great cost to His only Son. That's how you give evidence that you have the eternal treasure, is by being that sort of person. Let me be really clear. Not wrong to have things, money, relationship, houses, okay? Not wrong. If there's any confusion? Clarifying it right now. 
Not wrong at all. It just becomes wrong when we hold on to those things so tightly that we're unable to let them go. You have those things? You hold them like this. If you're listening online, I've got my hands like wide open. That's, that's what you do. You hold them like this, right? You hold them like this, those things that God gives to you, those gifts. But the temptation is to hold them like this. The entire world is chasing after these things. See, in our desire for happiness, in our desire for joy, in our desire for contentment, in our desire for security, we become reluctant to be the sort of generous person that is characterized by our Father, the sort of person that Jesus wants us to be. And so as a result, what happens? We hold too tightly to these things because what? We're afraid of not having them. Hold them like this. Ah, oh, but the temptation is to, to clutch to them. Because if I let go, if I let go, I might not have that relationship anymore. And I know how terrified, how stressful that is. And I'm scared of the thought of not having that relationship. So I can't let it go. i got to hold on to it. It'll white knuckle it. Or that dollar. Which for college students, that's a really tricky one too. And so the temptation is, if I don't have that dollar, what happens if I need it, right? If I hold it like this, it might blow away, right? God might take that out of my life, just as he might take that relationship out of my life, and I'm so terrified of what might happen. And now you see the challenge that's before us all, every single one of his disciples. But you have to let it go. You've got to be willing to hold things like this. Why? Because of that final verse. That's why. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You've got to let it go. Not wrong to have things. It just becomes wrong when we hold on to them so tightly that we're not letting them go. Because those things now have become our hope, our security, our joy, our happiness. Hold them like this. You've got to hold them like this. You have to. You have to. Because if you don't, you reveal what type of treasure you have. You do. And if Jesus is not your treasure, you don't have him. I don't care if you've asked Jesus to come into your heart, if you've prayed the sinner's prayer, if you were baptized. Like, if Jesus is not your treasure, you don't have Jesus. Whether or not you profess to be a Christian or not, those things are your treasure. Those things are your deepest desires. I've said it before in the last weeks in Joshua. Jesus will not be used as currency for the purchase of your idols. So I come to Jesus like an ATM machine. I make withdrawals so I can spend the money on things I really want. Because I only want Jesus to get to heaven. That's it. If Jesus isn't your treasure, you don't have Jesus. I can't emphasize that enough. 
Once again, not wrong to have things. It just becomes wrong when we hold on to them so tightly that it reveals what we really love, what we really treasure. You have to let it go. Or be willing, at the very least. See, the challenge here is unbelief. The challenge here is the unbelief of the promises of God. See, that's the root of anxiety, is the unbelief. Which in turn is the root of many other sins. It's the unbelief of the promises. That's the root of the anxiety. That's the root of the fear. Haven't you seen that yet? He's already given these amazing promises. Listen, I take care of the grass. Less valuable than lilies. I take care of lilies. Less valuable than birds. Stands to reason. I got you. You don't have to be afraid. Those are promises, right? He's a shepherd who knows your challenges. He's a father who loves to give to you. Oh, by the way, at great cost to his only son, he's already given you the very best thing he could give to you that you could ever acquire in this life. And oh, by the way, he's a king who can get things done. Therefore, you don't have to be afraid. So you see, it's unbelief in those promises that is the root of the anxiety, of the fear, of the worry, which in turn is the root of so many of these other sins that the world is suggesting as the solution to the very fear that you're dealing and wrestling with now. You don't have to be paralyzed by these things. You don't have to be. I know many of you are. So as the band comes, I want to pray. I just want to pray. God help us with our unbelief. We've got these amazing promises to know that you take care of the grass, the lilies, the birds, all of which are less valuable than your disciples. It stands to reason you got us. To know that you are a shepherd who knows our challenges, a father who loves to give to us, a king who is strong and powerful, especially when we're not. Therefore, we don't have to be afraid, Lord. Protect us from unbelief. Lord, I pray that you would make us the sort of generous people that you are, as our Father, that we would be characterized as such, revealing that our treasure, our treasure is not these things that they might say, Joe loves the Rangers, Joe loves his wife, you love this or that, but they love Christ more. I pray you would be our treasure, that you would be our deepest joy, commitment, security, hope. That's my prayer, God. Lord, help our unbelief in those moments. Help us to see you as the God who fights for us and who is big enough, big enough to conquer these fears, worries, and anxieties that come at us so regularly. Help us, Jesus. Amen.